Welcome to the Gateway Church Podcast. We're so glad you're here. We pray God speaks to you through this message and through His Word today. For more information about our church, please visit us at gatewaylife.com. Now let's tune in to this week's message. I want to introduce, uh, I won't call him our guest speaker because to me he's more like family. Uh, Pastor Daniel Grothy from New Life Colorado Springs. Uh, There's a lot of things that I could say about him that would impress you. Um, And I've been thinking through how I could introduce you to him because for many of you, this will be the first time that you're getting to meet him and getting to hear him use the gifts that God has given him. But I think there's one story. I don't even know if you would want me to share this, but Daniel is one of the most pastoral human beings I will probably ever meet in my life. And I, I, you know I don't do hyperbole. This is legitimate. And you're going to see it. It won't even take you eight minutes to see it. How many of you have heard of Eugene Peterson before? Mm-hmm. If you've heard of the message translation, you know Eugene Peterson, author of many other books, uh, has, went to be with the Lord a couple of years ago. But at, towards the end of his life, Daniel was spending some time with him. And there's one picture that I always have in my mind when I think about Daniel. As Eugene was getting really close to going to be with the Lord, and, and you know, all of our bodies start to experience a little bit of pain and, and annoyance, Daniel, when he'd go visit him, would take off his shoes and massage his feet just in the sweetest way, just serving an, an extremely godly man in one of the most practical ways. That one picture to me describes Daniel probably better than than I can describe anybody I know. One of my favorite things to be able to say about somebody is they're the real deal. I promise you, whatever you see, it's even better back there than it is up here because it's real. So I want you to open up your spiritual ears. Uh, He's written a book that I've asked him to teach out of. So you're going to love what he brings, because this man is used by God. Every time I've ever heard him teach and preach, God speaks through him. So, will you give him an unbelievably very warm <laughs> Gateway Church welcome to my friend, Pastor Daniel Grothy. Thank you. Thank you, Gateway. You are too sweet. And I love Preston and Holly Morris. And I've known Preston uh, coming up on 16 years and uh, a man of God, faithful. He and Holly are a power couple. Uh, and this church, I, I look around, uh, Brad and Jeff and Jen and Troy and uh, Brooke and different ones. There is an embarrassment of kingdom riches here in the people that God has sent you to lead this church. So could we give it up for the Gateway t- staff team, our pastors and leaders? Thank you, thank you, thank you for having me today. Yes, uh, Pastor Preston asked me to preach out of my new book, The Power of Place. And so what I'll do is I'll read this text to you. It's out of Genesis chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, turn to the first page. If you don't have your Bibles, it'll be up on the screen. Uh, So what I'll do is I'll read the text and I'll pray and we'll jump in. So hear the word of the Lord this morning as we continue the series, First Love Again. 
Uh, I'll be talking on love of place. You've talked about love of Father, love of Son, love of Holy Spirit, love of prayer, love of church, and today we're going to talk about love of place. So Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 28 says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea. I want you to notice how concrete and physical, how creational the language is here. It, it's not spiritual out there. It's concrete. It's earthy language. So that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them, and then God did what God does. God blessed them. He's always blessing. He's always speaking true words over us. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth and subdue it and rule, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And then it goes to verse uh, that says, then the Lord God took the man and he put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. So let's pray today. Lord, we need you to speak to us. We did not get up on Sunday morning to come here to be entertained. We did not get up on Sunday morning to come here for gimmickry and, and playfulness. We, we, we came here ultimately because we believe that you are the God who speaks. And when you speak, things happen. And God said, let there be light, and there was. And so into our darkness today, we invite you to speak the word of light. Into our confusion today, we invite you to speak a word of order. Into our lives, our anxieties, our fears, we ask you to say all over again, peace be still. God, would you speak to us? We open our hearts, we open our minds, we are, uh, we are before you, Lord, and we pray, Lord, let your kingdom come and let your will be done today on the earth as it is in heaven. And we pray in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, amen. amen. A handful of years ago, I flew to Lewiston, Idaho to go officiate my grandpa Dan's funeral. Grandpa Daniel Kemp Wilson, and I'm named Daniel Wilson Grothy after my grandpa. And it was the great honor of really my, my life to go and stand and officiate the funeral for the man that I'm named after. Man who loved me. He's, he was married to Grandma Wheezy for 66 years, Louise Wheezy Wilson. She's 90 now. She just turned 90. And she lives out on land that her daddy, a Greek immigrant, bought on the Snake River in Idaho. He bought 2,000 acres in the early 1900s. He got off the boat from Greece, worked his way out west, and saved up every penny. And he went to the Nez Perce Indian tribe and said, I'd like to buy 2,000 acres. And they said, well, the federal government says we can sell you 160. And so Hieronymus Athanasius Asimokopoulos, my great-grandfather, you thought I just spoke in tongues, didn't you? <laughs> hey, Hieronymus. Uh, he wrote to Washington, D.C., and my grandma Weezy, 90 years old, has the piece of paper that Vice President Grover Cleveland signed saying the Nez Perce tribe could sell 2,000 acres to Hieronymus Athanasius Asmacopoulos. So Grandma Weezy is living on the land that her daddy bought, and Grandpa Dan 
was a farmer for all those years and passed away at 86 years old. Got to fly out and officiate his funeral. He lived in the same place, Lapway, Idaho, he and Wheezy, for all of their lives. And he was a hilarious man. I'll, I'll give you just a sampling. He, our son, our firstborn son, we named him Wilson James Grothy after great-grandpa Dan Wilson. And so on the day of Wilson's birth, Grandpa Dan called me, and I'm in the nursery. Uh, they're, they're getting Wilson cleaned up, and they had just done his circumcision. All the stuff is going on. He calls me, and I pick up. I say, hey, Grandpa Dan. He said, congratulations. I, I heard you had a boy today. And I said, yeah, we did. And he said, how much did he weigh? And I said, well, he was eight pounds, two ounces. And how, how long? 21 inches. And what would you name him? And I said, we named him Wilson James Grothy after you, Grandpa Dan. We, we love you so much. And he said, yeah, did they circumcise him? And I said, well, yeah, they, they just finished that up. And he said, boy, they did that to me once, and I couldn't walk for a year. <laughs> just a great man, hilarious. I may never get invited back for telling that joke, but it was a great run. You know, it was a great run while we were here. Thank you, Preston. Um, so I stood and officiated his funeral and grandpa Dan and grandma Wheezy, the, the church filled up with all of Lapway, Idaho, everyone in the community, 500 people, because they watched this man live faithfully and his wife live faithfully in one place for all of their lives. And what I want you to hear through that stability, the story of stability, 86 years and now 90 years for grandma Wheezy is that that is common to the, the Christian experience. When you look back in church history, what you discover is that the saints have always felt the strong urge to find a place and to find a people and to put their roots down, to live the vow of stability. We know that saints would take vows of charity with their money, of course. We know that saints would take vows of chastity with their sexuality, of course. We know that the saints would take vows of obedience to scripture, of course. The Bible is our book, of course. But what most people don't know is that the first vow that St. Benedict called the people of God to take thousands of years ago was the vow of stability in place. If you read history and you read the, the scriptures, what you see is that the saints are always from somewhere. There, we think of the, the great saints as these like free-floating transcendent icons that were just kind of hovering in the ether. No, we've got St. Francis of... Assisi, yes, very good. We've got St. Augustine of Hippo. We've got St. Teresa of Calcutta. The saints are always from somewhere. They found their place, they found their people, and they put down roots. And so today I want to talk through this vow of stability, the power of place, and put a few ideas in front of you. The first thing about the vow of stability, the purpose behind the vow that I want you to see is that through the vow of stability, God wants to give us a gift. There is something about a home place. Uh, there's something about knowing where you're safe and knowing where you come from and a, and a roof over your head. And I, I can almost feel the, that old shag carpet under my feet from the childhood home that I grew up in. And I, I can still see the kitchen and my bedroom window looking out at the tree outside that my dad and I planted and the, the basketball hoop out on the driveway that we poured into the concrete. Anyone, there's something about a place. And through the vow of stability, God wants to give us a gift. Now, I want you to see in scripture that the very first gift that God gives humankind is the gift of place. 
And God took the man and the woman and he put them in the garden of Eden and he said, be fruitful and multiply. Here's your place, rule over it, subdue it, take dominion. Isn't it beautiful, Adam and Eve? And they were, they were able to flourish there and grow there. God gives us the gift of place. And it's also really instructive to notice that the first curse after the fall is the curse of placelessness. God gives them the Garden of Eden and then they take the story into their own hands and sin enters the story and they're driven out into exile. The first curse that comes on, on earth is the curse of placelessness. And this is why our hearts ache when we see people out in the streets who are homeless. This is why we ache when we see single parents who, who, who are getting priced out of their place. This is why we as the people of God come to help ensure that others have their place. The first gift is the gift of place and the first curse is the curse of placelessness. But what does place do for us? I wanna put a couple things in front of you. If God gives us the gift of place, what is place for? The, the first thing I want you to see is that place gives us security. 1943, Abraham Maslow, before Abraham Maslow put together his triangular hierarchy of needs, sociologists and psychologists and philosophers and theologians and sages through the ages have been saying that a safe, predictable, comfortable place for us is, is absolutely essential in the great quest of becoming human. Like children need to know where they're from. Children need to know that there's gonna be some food in the pantry. Children need to know that they're going to be rocked to sleep and loved and prayed for and blessed and, and someone lay hands on them in their safe place. And, and Maslow knew what so many others through the ages have known, that if you have that safe place from which to launch, you have security to get started. Place also gives us identity. The church that I grew up in in Tulsa, Oklahoma, this village, this group of saints came around me and they, they helped my parents. My parents named me, but these people came alongside my parents and helped really name me. They gave me an identity. Daniel, you are a man of God. I'm five years old running around the church and I've got these extended aunties and uncles and they'd come up to me and slap me on the back and say, hey, I'm proud of you, man. I heard you did good in your little YMCA basketball game yesterday and you're a man of God and you're gonna change the world and we bless you in Jesus' name. I'm five years old thinking that's normal. And every five-year-old ought to think that's normal. Place gives us security, yes, but it also gives us an identity. People, the people of God and the place that God has planted us, they help us receive our name from God. We get that identity in us. But the third thing that place does is it gives us the chance to develop mastery. I've got a, a, a friend who's got a young son, Ryan. And Ryan, my friend is a custom home builder and he, he builds beautiful homes back in Colorado Springs. And his little boy, Ryan, from the time he was three years old, he'd get up in the morning and put on his tool belt. He got a tape measure on one side and a little fake drill on the other. He's got a hammer. He'd walk into my house and say, your picture's a little bit crooked. I'd say, shut up. <laughs> you fix it then, you know, and, and he's always going around our house checking things and oh, the, the door handle's a little wobbly. I'm like, fix it, bro. This little kid, he's got this identity. He's grown up and he's watched his dad. And because of that, this boy was able to help 
practice his dad's craft. And this boy is 12, almost 13 years old, and he can build stuff. He's got this mastery because of where he's grown up. Place affords us the opportunity to develop mastery. Think about Steph and Seth Curry two of the great ballers on the planet. They grew up with Del Curry, their dad, playing in the NBA for 16 years, and they thought that was normal. <laughs> going to shoot-arounds and going back in the locker room. Think about Peyton and Eli Manning watching Archie for all those years in the NFL. They thought that was normal. And place, it, yes, it gives us security and it helps us develop an identity, but it also gives us the chance to practice and to develop our skilled mastery. God wants to give us the gift of a place And through the vow of stability, if we'll stay put, if we'll receive the place God has given us, we will find that great gift. That's the first thing. God wants to give us a gift. The second thing is through the vow of stability, God wants to make us holy. God wants to make us holy. You've heard it said, you know, um, church would be great if it weren't for all these people. (laughs) You know, life would be great if all these difficult people weren't messing with me. And and I'll just tell you, I'm a great Christian when I'm by myself. I don't get impatient with myself. I've never spoken a cross word to myself. I I feed myself really well. I'm I'm a decent human being when no one else is around. I'm a great Christian when all these difficult people aren't bothering me, when my kids aren't asking me for food, you know, when my kids aren't, you know, making a mess all over the house, when my kids aren't coming into our bedroom at 2 a.m. and messing up our night, <laughs> you know, have you ever seen the, the, the meme, you know, dad's laying in bed like this and mom's laying in bed like this and the child is laying across them like this and it says H is for hell? <laughs> have you seen that? I'm a great Christian when my kids aren't doing that, when they aren't messing me up, you know? Uh, but, but it's the people that will make us holy. As we live the vow of stability in a place, God will surround us with saints who will help purify us, who will help us practice the fruit of the Spirit. You know, the fruit of the Spirit does not grow up in abstraction or in isolation. Love, and joy, and peace, and patience. Patience. You practice patience when someone's difficult. And through the vow of stability, we will will be made holy if we will submit to that. I uh, was a musician for many years of my life and toured and recorded, and we'd play these arenas around the country, and and sometimes we'd go international, and and every band has a rider. You you send your rider ahead, and I'd like room temperature Evian and only green M&Ms, you know? Whatever you want. Like the band gets to be picky and and Google sometimes like the Rolling Stones writer or something. You're like, whoa, these guys are arrogant. (laughs) The world revolves around them. But I'd go into these green rooms in these arenas and what I realized is that I was getting everyone's best every time. Oh, we are so glad you're here. Thank you for coming. I hope it's comfortable. If you find you need anything, let us know. And I, did, and I, I would go back home and my little kids would have dirty diapers and they would need things and I would not get their best all of the time. And I started to think to myself after years of being in green rooms, like this isn't real life <laughs> and this isn't actually good for me because it makes me think the world revolves around me and it makes me think I can get everyone's best all the time. No, the vow of stability, when you root down with people in a place and you look them in the eye, what happens is the fruit of the spirit begins to develop in you and God begins to make you holy. Our places and the people within them have a way of purifying us if we will let them. 
I was talking to some friends here who are from Colorado Springs who are in church this morning and I was uh, chatting with them beforehand and they said they've been friends for 36 years and they said, you know, we call each other sisters now. And I just thought, what a beautiful thing. And I was thinking to myself, you know who I don't trust on the planet earth? You know the kinds of people that I don't trust. The people that I don't trust are the people who get into their latter years and they have to keep making new friends. People who aren't able to travel with the same people over the decades. I, I don't trust people who show up later in life and they don't have any old friends. It makes me think, how have you lived in such a way that you're not able to arrive at that point and have 36-year friends that you call sister or brother? But through the vow of stability, as we plant down, what happens is we learn to forgive each other. I want to show you a few things. There's a couple trends at play in our moment in time that keep us from the vow of stability. The first thing is we live in an age of wanderlust. Have you ever heard people in their 20s or 30s and they go, you know, I'm just going to run down to Austin for a few years and Austin's got this vibe. I mean, they got food trucks down there and you can paddleboard out on, you know, Austin's got a vibe and, and I've, Amazon just came there and Tesla just came there and like, it's the place, it's popping, it's cracking, Austin's a vibe. Oh, after three years, well, just Austin didn't really find the genius in me, so I'm going to go out to L.A. And, and L.A., I just always, want, I was in my high school play and I just always thought I'd be, you know... <laughs> the next Brad Pitt, and they're like, bro, look at your hairline. And I'm like, you know, but I just believe. Uh, Nicolas Cage got a great weave, and I could figure it out, and I, you know, like, uh, LA's not working. I'm going to go out to NYC for a little bit, and then you just look up, and people bounce. After a decade, they lived in three or four different places, and they've paid their bills the whole time, but they don't have any relational rootage. They may have financial capital, but they don't have any social capital. And I think we in our age have forgotten what social capital means, the village coming around and helping us grow up into the ways of God. We live in an age of wanderlust and we're living a great human experiment right now. We are the first society in history that is choosing to do what we're doing. We've got to ask ourselves, how's it working out? The second thing, the second trend at play in this age that we live in is we have become a pathologically conflict avoidant people. Pathologically, you remember back in the day, like Grandpa Dan, if, if he had something going on, he'd invite the guy to the Greasy Spoon Diner in Lapway, Idaho and sit down across with a bad cup of black coffee and he'd look him in the eye and say, can we work this out? And they'd talk it over and they'd shake hands afterwards and they'd keep on keeping on. They'd do business together. They'd figure out how to live in peace in the community together. What do we do now? We go hide behind our keyboards and we get keyboard courageous. Sarcastic memes on Facebook and chipping at people. And, and, and right, we, we, we have stopped the, the face-to-face conversations, working it out, forgiving each other and looking each other in the eye and shaking hands and finding peace. We've become pathologically conflict avoidant. I go to this uh, monastery once a year for a, a spiritual retreat, a couple days at a time. It's a reset. And it's a routine that I have, and a few friends and I go, and we talk, and we pray, and how are you doing, and what does your family need? How can I pray for you? And at the monastery, there's this big quote up on the wall that I want to read to you. I think it's important for us to put this in our imaginations and maybe start to live this way. It says, we vow to remain all our life with our local community. There are monks that live there full-time and nuns that live there on the other side of the grounds. We vow to remain all our life with our local community. We live together, 
pray together, work together, relax together. We give up the temptation to move from place to place in search of an ideal situation. The grass is not greener, they said. Ultimately, there is no escape from oneself. (laughs) You've heard it said, you know, wherever you go, there you are. Ultimately, there's no escape from oneself. And the idea that things would be better someplace else is usually an illusion. And when, not if, when interpersonal conflicts arise, we have a great incentive to work things out and to restore peace. This means learning the practices of love, acknowledging one's own offensive behavior, giving up one's preferences, and forgiving. And so I'll say to you today, if you want to become holy, Remember that people are the great purifiers. If you want to become a saint, you will not become a saint in isolation. You will become a saint as you learn to look each other in the eyes and to say the hard thing and to forgive one another quickly and to be patient and to lay down the strife and to be the people of God. People are the great purifiers. Through the vow of stability, God wants to give us a gift through the vow of stability. God wants to make us holy. And then third, and the final thing I want to say to you today is that through the vow of stability, God will use us to refamily the world. God will use us to refamily the world. I got a call. It was probably 14 years ago now, sitting at my desk at New Life Church in Colorado Springs. My desk phone rang. I picked it up, and it was an older man. And he said, hi, is this the church? I said, this is, yes, this is Daniel. He said, hi, I'm Ed. And I said, hi, Mr. Ed, how can I help you? And Mr. Ed, there you go, talk to Mr. Ed. I I didn't even realize it, but some of you did, okay, of that generation. All the young people are like, who's Mr. Ed? (laughs) I said, hey, Mr. Ed, and how can I help you? And he said, well, I just got out the phone book this morning and uh, my wife died yesterday, and I realized I got to find someone who will bury her. Said I've never been to church. We didn't. We didn't have any faith. But in this moment now, it just hit me. I, churches bury people. So would you bury my wife? And I said I would be honored to. And so he came up to the church that afternoon. We met for the first time. He was in his. Uh, late 70s, and we got to know each other. Tell me about her. And, and we planned the funeral. We planned the graveside ceremony. We got it all sorted out. And later that week on Friday, we had her funeral at our church and then went to the graveside ceremony and put her casket in the ground. And I hugged Mr. Ed and I said, if you ever need anything, Mr. Ed, you know where to get me. He said, thank you, young man. And Sunday morning, I came to church walked in the building at 7.30, and there he was. Sunday morning, 7.30. Church starts at 9. <laughs> and he's got a black coffee, and he's walking around the lobby, and he goes, hey, Daniel, uh, it's good to see you today. And I said, it's great to see you, Ed. Get over here. We hug it out. He comes and sits down in the front, and, and we're talking, and I just thought it was so great. Two days after his wife's funeral, for the first time, he comes to church. You know where he was next Sunday at 7.30? in the lobby with his black coffee. Hey, Daniel, he's there before our staff is there, you know. He's welcoming people, walking around. He's worshiping, he's got his tie on. You know where he was the next Sunday? 
in the lobby at 7.30 with his coffee. And for the next 10 years, he didn't miss a Sunday except for when he was out on a vacation. And Ed found, he found the people in his section. They would come over and check on him. How you doing? What do you need? He'd take guys out to play golf. He'd take guys out for breakfast. And this community came around a guy who was a complete stranger three weeks before. And, and Mr. Ed is thriving in the family of God. What I want you to see is that through the vow of stability, God will use us to refamily the world. Another story, my dad... He grew up in Tulsa, Oklahoma. He's 66 years old. He's been a pastor for 44 years. Love the guy. And he grew up in a home where he was the only child. His parents had him later in life. And his parents individually were excellent people. Melvin Joseph Grothy, my grandfather, he worked in the oil fields of Oklahoma, calluses all over his hands. There was not anything he couldn't fix. I mean, just a machinist, uh, a pro's pro. He worked hard on the weekends. When he would come home, he would do landscaping for his neighbors for free just because he worked hard every day of his life and would take good care of people. Great man. Velma Ida, my grandmother Grothy, excellent woman, beautiful, six feet tall, elegant, gracious, came from a great family, just as excellent as they come. Melvin and Velma could not be married, though. They just didn't know how to do it, and they fought. My dad was five years old, and he said it was normal once or twice a week at dinner time, where the kitchen table would get turned over in the kitchen and an all-out brawl would ensue. And they're on the floor punching each other, taking knives and, and st- just like going for it. He said, I'm five years old, diving on the pile of my parents saying, can't we just work this out? Can't we just work this out? He said, I'd go to bed. My parents slept in separate rooms and I had my own room and it was a very lonely, quiet house in the evenings and I would lay there by myself. I'd never gone to church, but I would cry in bed and I would say, God, all I want is a happy family one day. Can you just give me a happy family one day? At nine years old, he started walking to a church a couple miles down the road, Sheridan Assembly in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And he walked in on a Sunday morning, was in the back of the room, and the worship leader, it was during uh, the band rehearsal before the service, and the worship leader saw this little nine-year-old by himself. He goes, hey, young man, stop the music, stop the music. Hey, young man, come here, come here. Who are you with? I'm, me? How'd you get here? I walked. Oh, we are so glad you're here. And it was Vep Ellis. And Vep Ellis said, we're so glad you're here. My wife, Levon, and I, we sit right here. Come up during uh, rehearsal and finish rehearsal with us, and then you can sit with us during church, and we'll take you to lunch and drive you home. Okay. And then they picked him up for church that night because there was a kids' choir getting ready for Easter. You can join the kids' choir. So my, da- my dad at nine years old just got swept up into this family of God, and he met this guy, and he met that guy, and this family took care of him. This family paid for his summer camp. And 15 years old, my dad gets a call from his father, who works in the oil fields, and he said, I'm going to be working late on a project tonight. We're drilling a new well. Tell your mom I'm not going to be there for dinner. Go ahead and eat without me. Yes, sir, love you. A couple hours later, they go to the front door and there's a police officer and a chaplain there. And they said, is this the Grothy house? Yes. Can we please come in? Well, sure. Uh, Would you please sit down? Tonight, there were nine men working in an oil field and your husband and your father was one of them. And there was an explosion and all nine men died. Dad's 
lost his dad at 15 years old, 19 years old. My dad's a sophomore in college at Oral Roberts University in Tulsa. And his mom calls him one day and she said, David, I've got a terrible headache. Could you come get me and take me to the doctor? He comes and gets his mom, takes her to the doctor. They find a stage four brain tumor and she's dead within the next several weeks. My dad is the only child. He's buried his dad at 15. He's buried his mom at 19. He's settling in a state, selling cars, liquidating the house. He's a heartbroken kid trying to figure out now how to take care of an estate. But you know who he had? He had the saints at Sheridan Assembly. And he had Vep Ellis Jr. and his wife, LaVon. And he had Frank Reeder. And, And all these men are in their late 70s and early 80s now. And they're still a part of my dad's life. And when my dad got married at 22, Vep Ellis stood there on the stage and officiated the wedding. The same guy who found my dad when he was a nine-year-old in the back of a a church sanctuary all by himself. And that family of God became his family. What I want you to see this morning is that through the vow of stability, when people commit to a place and they commit to a church and they put down roots and they live in these holy routines of they just keep showing up and they keep worshiping God and they keep their eyes open for people people who are in need, God will use us to refamily the world just like he refamilied my dad and just like he refamilied that guy, Ed, who lost his wife. Saints, this is who we are. Can you say amen today? This is who we are. The psalmist in Psalm 68 was riffing one day. He was imagining God and he knew God's character and he starts talking about who God is. He says he's a father to the fatherless. Think about the little David Grothy in Tulsa, Oklahoma. God is a father to the fatherless. He's a defender of widows. This is who God is in his holy dwelling. And God sets the lonely into families. And friends, we may live in a world right now that many of us have got our finances worked out. Many of you, you're not worried about how you're going to pay the next month's mortgage. But there are so many people who are showing up in the places God has planted us and they're lonely and they're heartbroken and they're anxious and they're afraid. And you know who they need? They need you. They need you to be God's, uh, God's plan to set the lonely into families. They need you to be the one that helps bring them in. They need you to be the one, this church to be the one to take care of their needs and to stand with them in their worst days. And Eugene Peterson, who Pre- Preston referenced earlier, I spent the last 10 years of his life apprenticing to him and being mentored by him. And Eugene Peterson He was talking about the power of the church one day and he wrote this. He said, the church is a colony of heaven in a country of death. A little bitty colony of heaven in a country of death where there's darkness and where there's tribalism and where there's political partisanship and where there's people that are foaming at the mouth and they're angry and their face is flushed red with all the adrenaline of the society that we live in. The church is this little colony of heaven in a country of death. And so today, Gateway, my prayer for you and my call to you today is to begin again to practice the vow of stability where God has planted you. Your life may be complex, but if you're here, if this is your church, if this is your community, put down roots and find your people and just keep showing up and keep praying and keep giving and keep serving and keep speaking life over these children who are going to be running through the lobby in about 10 minutes. Let's be the people of God together. And as we do this, God will give us a gift, the gift of place. And as we do this, God will make us holy. 
And as we do this, God will use us to refamily the world. Can you say amen? amen? Church, would you stand with me today? I want to speak the blessing over you and pray over you today. So would you open your hands as a sign of, Lord, I'm ready to receive, and Lord, I'm, I'm willing to be your people. Lord, today, for my friends at Gateway Church, I speak the blessing of God. And I pray that those who are needing the gift of place would receive the gift today. I pray for those who are lonely here to, to find themselves rooted in family. I pray that they'd look up in six months and things would have shifted. Lord, I pray that you would anoint these saints to go into Scottsdale and Phoenix and Gilbert and Mesa and all around this region to be the blessing of God. So Lord, I pray bless them and keep them and make your face to shine upon them and be gracious to them. Lord, lift your bright smiling countenance upon these people and grant them and all of their people peace. And I pray these things today in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, Amen. Thanks so much, Gateway. Love you. Thanks for joining us today. For more information about Gateway Church, please visit us at gatewaylife.com. Have a great week.